Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. Good morning and happy anniversary to Heroes Church. It's such a joy to have you guys here. Uh, physically, after you know, I, last year where we had to have our anniversary online. It's been quite the journey for us. As we have persevered through a global health crisis and just recently, we have experienced the highs and lows of the national elections. We are in the middle of a series on the New Testament handles to handle the elections. And part of that is to see how we can contextualize the gospel to address some of our concerns, some of our thoughts, some of our feelings before, during, and after the election day. And now that the elections is done, I hope that this message can help encourage us not only to face today, but to strengthen us for what we see would be the upcoming years. So please join me as we study the word and let's pause for a quick word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, to look into your word, to see how it influences us, and we pray and ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word for us so that we can learn what you have to teach us. Help us be strengthened and encouraged, be encouraged by your word. We pray that it can give us life today and every day. Thank you for our anniversary. Grant me your grace as I deliver your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's topic, today's theme is looking to eternal things. And if you are a believer, this is something that is um, oftentimes a basic lesson into how Receiving the gospel brings you in to experience and be assured of eternal life. Now, if you are not a believer, this is a good engagement to see and understand what we mean by eternal things. You see, many times what we have come accustomed to is to, to think that eternity or eternal life only matters when we die. And so over the course of 
the evangelical movement, particularly here in our country, we have made many attempts to convert, to share the gospel, with the selling point that the most important thing is that being a Christian puts you gives you access to life after death, brings you to heaven. Being a Christian is your ticket to an eternal life with God. And so I remember growing up having to hear this message and being taught to share this message, sometimes even scaring people by introducing the question, where will you go when you die? And I'm not saying that's not an important question, but by starting with that question and sometimes meaning it to be the end all, we have minimized Christianity into a post-mortem experience. And I'd like to encourage our church today to show from the word that Christianity is not a post-mortem experience. We don't have to wait till we're dead for it to matter to our lives. In fact, if Christianity or your faith or the gospel does not impact you in your day-to-day, then we are doing you a great disservice. Some people today are saying, we want to battle for the truth. Many people are commenting on the disinformation that's being spread out. If we are so passionate about this, how much more passionate should we be in recognizing the possibilities that there is also disinformation, gaslighting, and wrong focus as far as Christianity is concerned. And I think this is one of those myths. This is one of the functional myths that we face, that Christianity only matters for the afterlife and does not matter for us today. Now, the encouragement we have from Paul as he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church is that we need to look at eternal things, not only when we face death, not only when we encounter death, not only when we're near the point of death, but we need to look to eternal things even today, even tomorrow, and even the day after. So I want to talk about that this morning and share with you three things that is emphasized by Paul as he encourages us to look to these eternal things. The first one is looking to eternal things recognizes God's power. Looking to eternal things 
recognizes God's power. We may be Christian. We may say we believe in God. We may say we want to be Christ-centered. But functionally, we rely on so many other powers. We rely on our own strength. We rely on our own intellectual capacity. We rely on our own skill. We We rely on our own you know, strength, it doesn't matter if we're right or wrong. We're having such a hard time to ask help from other people. Psychology sometimes teaches us that such a trait, the inability to ask help, signifies or marks a wounded personality. And many times, you know, we slip our woundedness, our brokenness, religious jargon calls it our sinfulness, under the rug, and we try to be strong. We try to be strong because we feel that's the only way we can live. We try to be strong because that's, we think that's the only way we can please everybody. Who wants? Who wants a broken person around who wants a weak person around? Who is attracted to a wet blanket? And so we try to perform. We try to outperform. We try to be perfectionists in at least one thing. Thinking that if I can master a craft, if I can be good in something, then I can be worth something and so we try we try so hard we look at what works we look at what people pay attention to whether it's positive or negative attention it doesn't matter sometimes it's already bordering abusive but we still take it why because it gives us a level of significance that masks our sense of worthlessness. But look at what Paul is offering us here. He's not offering us a mask to put on. He is not offering us a false hope to hang on to. He's not offering us a lie that as we continually believing in will eventually become true. He offers us a perspective that when we look to eternal things, we recognize God's power. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The ultimate surpassing Significant, unlimited power belongs to God and not to us. When we say we're a believer, when we say we're a Christian, we acknowledge the fact that God has the power. That means you and I stop thinking we have the power. That's, the, that's one of the main 
processes of the Christian life. When you say you're a sinner in need of grace, you're acknowledging that you cannot hack it on your own. That you're powerless on your own. That for you to move forward, progress, and function, you need the power of God. That's the Christian message. But when we minimize it to a post-mortem experience where it only functionally happens when we die and suddenly we're brought to heaven, we miss out on life here. Whether you're a student trying to battle bullying or hardship at school, or whether you're working and you're trying to combat, you know, the labors in the corporate world or in business, or whether you're part of a family and you're just trying to figure out how to mitigate all the stresses and the relationships and the conflict, looking to eternal things can help you understand that the power belongs to God. You and I are not meant to function away from it. In fact, that's one of the most basic biblical concepts. Apart from God, we are dead. Dead to sin. The walking dead. We're like zombies. You know zombies, right? They're dead, but they're functioning seemingly walking around. The Bible if you look at Galatians, describes us as that. We're the walking dead. Away from God's power, we're just limited to function the way we are. And that's why Paul is stressing here that when we look to eternal things and we realize we have this treasure in jars of clay, we recognize that the power belongs to God. And as a believer, that is something to hold on to. As a Christian, that is something that can shape you. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. All of these sufferings, all of these disappointments, all of these challenges, all of these hurts, all of these pains, all of this depression, all of this anxiety could be brought to us. But when we recognize the power of God, we will have the hope that we will not be crushed by them that suffering will not be the end of us that corruption will not be the future of us if we believe in the power of god and we hold on to it then we can experience all these things but we will never be destroyed this is the christian message this is when it functionally matters it's not only when you're feeling good. It's not only when you're feeling, you know, elated. Or it's not, you know, 
sometimes some Christian sects will celebrate that sense of infilling that makes you feel at a higher plane. Christian message means you might be down in the dumps where you are, but something is inside you that's not completely shattering you. Something is inside you that's not going to break you. Something is inside you that's keeping you all together. And you know what that is? That's God's power. That is the power of God that su- surpasses everything so that death may be at work in us but life is actually in us and that life is the eternal life that we talk about with our lips but sometimes functionally don't hold on to. So I want you to think about that. Looking to eternal things recognizes God's power. Sometimes we're so religious, we just think it with our heads, but it doesn't reach our hearts. We think it with our heads, but we don't use use it in our hands. We think it with our heads, we say it with our lips, but it doesn't influence the way we're living out. The Bible does not say we're not going to suffer. The Bible does not say just give up the suffering. But the Bible says you might be suffering. The Bible says you might be crushed. The Bible says you are experiencing this depression, persecution, the sense of brokenness. But as jars of clay, you're intact. You're intact. It just might feel that you're all torn apart and breaking down. But when you recognize God's power, that power has the power, that power has the strength, that power has the reality, that power has the capacity to hold us together. Some of us feel like exploding. Some of us feel like imploding. But when we look to eternal things, recognizing God's power means we are kept together. And this is an exercise in faith. This is an exercise of the truth. This is an exercise of really valuing the kind of information that shapes us. Are you holding on to God's power? Or are you subscribing to other powers? Paul is confident. The Bible is sure that the only power that can hold us together is that power that we get to see eternity. That eternity doesn't doesn't only mean post-mortem, it means we're experiencing it today.
Second, the second thing we find that Paul teaches us here as we look to eternal things is that looking to eternal things values the resurrection. Looking to eternal things values the resurrection. Sometimes the resurrection becomes just a doctrine. Sometimes the resurrection just becomes a story. Sometimes the resurrection just happens to become a stock knowledge. Both Catholics, Evangelicals, Reformers, Baptists, all of us believe in the resurrection. All of us know that Jesus Christ rose up from the grave. It's one thing for the resurrection to be here. That's why initially I put, I put in the slide that looking to eternal things believes in the resurrection, but I changed it with the word value. Sometimes belief, we associate it with our heads. And even though it's a scientific mystery, we think that as a Christian, we believe the resurrection. But it's one thing for the resurrection to be here in your mind. It's another thing for it to be valued in your heart. Now, I'm telling you, growing up in, in, a, in a Christian home, I knew what the resurrection was. Attending a Roman Catholic school, I knew what the resurrection was. If you ask me, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, I was trained to say yes. But let me tell you what we're not trained for. In a religious culture, we're not trained to value what that means. And that's why we want to labor as a church being challenged by this letter of Paul to value this resurrection. Look at what he says. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. There is a movement of valuing the resurrection, not only knowing the truth of it, but valuing the implication of it. And Paul is teaching you, us here that the power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is resurrecting us from being the walking dead into now having that life. The life that Paul talks about when he says death seems to be working in you, but life is in you, is that power that is giving you life today. So if you're a Christian, that is the gift that, the, that God gives you, that power of life in you, that treasure in jars of clay, in our earthly bodies that are imperfect, in, in our human existence that is full of sin, we may be broken, we may be sinful, we may be, you know, down in the dumps. It doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what you've experienced, it doesn't matter what you think is the most horrible thing you've done, it doesn't matter the shame that you think you carry that is haunting you, that is bludgeoning you. What happens is that life in you, through the power of the resurrected Christ, is keeping you alive. 
It's keeping us alive. It's keeping you and me raised up with the Lord and with His presence. So that if you feel that the world is against you, if you feel, you know, if you're one of those celebrating the elections and you feel bashed by other people, or if you feel depressed with the elections and you're also being bashed by people, even sometimes by family or friends, that life in you, that resurrecting power of God in you, is going to hold you together. It's holding you now, whether you know it or not. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's holding us together. And that's why outwardly you may feel crushed, depressed, sad, unhopeful. But I'm telling you, well, I'm not telling you. Paul is telling us. That we have the grace, we have the power to be resurrected from this. And so nothing is beyond hope. Nothing is too impossible. Because the resurrection is an impossible thing. Who would have thought that Jesus Christ would have resurrected? Apostles didn't know that. Pontius Pilate didn't know that. The Jews crying out for the crucifixion of Jesus didn't know that. The only time we started knowing that is when it actually already happened. When there were witnesses who saw Jesus Christ resurrect from the dead. When Jesus appeared to Peter, James, and John. When there were accounts of real-life witnesses who saw Jesus, touched him, encountered him in a meal, and decided to spread that message. And that message was validated by hundreds of people. And those hundreds of people who validated that truth spread the word to more people. And thousands started believing in it. And that those thousands of people who believed in it and saw that the truth impacted their lives and valued such a resurrection, continued to spread that message so that today we have that gospel truth that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And when we believe in it and value it, we know that that resurrection power has that same power to resurrect you and me. When you're depressed, it can lift you up. When you're feeling hopeless, it can give you that hope. When you're feeling down, stuck, angry, it can give you that comfort and move to move forward in life. Such is the resurrection power. And if we are not looking to eternal things, we're going to be stuck. If we're not accessing that resurrection power, we're just going to be like everybody else. And that's not the reality of life God wants you to have. And that's why we need to move from just knowing the truth in our heads for it to functionally take effect in our hearts. You know, some of, some of us are disappointed with the election results. Whether you voted for other candidates and not the winning one, 
It's easy to judge the nation. It's easy to think, how could this happen? Let me tell you how it happens. Because sometimes we know what we don't really know. Do you see that? Sometimes we know what we don't really know. Sometimes we think we know, but when it's not taking full effect in our hearts, then what you know doesn't really matter. So some of us try to convince, change, educate. What were you trying to hit? You were trying to hit it here. But you see, the results of election shows us there's more than just what's here. There's the values that are in our hearts. I'm not giving a value judgment to those values. I'm just saying the same happens with our Christianity. You think you know, but when it's not affecting your heart, you could just be easily disappointed with yourself. I'm telling you, I grew up disappointed with myself. I grew up in church. I was a pastor's kid. I knew all the Sunday school lessons. You could ask me the trivia. I could give you the right answer. I was trained to answer all the things in a right way. That's just, just came with the territory. You can't mess up. You can't make mistakes. It's just hard. You're expected to live the right way, say the right things, act a certain way. I can't even laugh in some where everyone's laughing just because. When you're living like that, and then there's so many, so much, so much things that are going on inside you, no one knows. It's crushing. And sometimes our religion imposes that on us. And it becomes so heavy. I'm telling you, if the resurrection power of God is not real, the worst affected people will be people in the church. If the resurrection power of God is not real, the worstly hit people will be us religious people. But the good news is, the resurrection power of God is real. And that is why what we need to do is believe in it and not only believe with our heads, but functionally value it in our hearts. And what does that mean? What does that mean? That means valuing the resurrection of Jesus in our hearts is seeing that grace move in us so that it may increase our thanksgiving, glorifying God. You see the context of this? Paul is basically saying, you're depressed, you're broken, you're being crushed, you're being persecuted, but the power in you will lead you to more thanksgiving to the glory of God. How is that possible? 
if we're just looking at the world, if we're just looking at daily things, it doesn't look possible. It looks crazy. It looks crazy. But if you're looking at eternal things, if you're looking to the impossibility made real in the resurrection of Christ, then it becomes a possibility for you. And that is why connected to this is the last point we learn from Paul, that looking to eternal things realizes our hope. Do you know that many times hope is just a potential? Hope is just an idealism. Hope is an unrealized truth. That's why we say, don't hope, you will not be disappointed. Be a realist so that you don't get hurt. But you know what the Bible is saying? The Bible is already telling us we will encounter hurt. The Bible is, telling, is already telling us that we will encounter suffering. The goal in life is not to avoid suffering. The goal in life is not to have the least amount of suffering. You're not going to be able to control that. Haven't the past three years been enough to teach us we are not in control? Anytime our lives can be taken. Anytime our work can be changed, anytime things can drastically, you know, go down. Haven't we had enough experience to see that we're not really fully in control? And so suffering is not something we can avoid, nor is, something, is suffering something we can just accept. But the Bible teaches us the reality of suffering is superseded by the resurrecting power of God. Look at the closing verses. Look at the application of Paul. You have the suffering, then you have the resurrecting power of Christ that leads you to thanksgiving and glory. And so what is the application? Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed by day to day. You know, as your pastor, come talk to me. Tell me anything. I will never say, you know, I will never say that what you're feeling or thinking is not valid. But, but, I will encourage you this. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We have a diverse church. We voted on all colors. And some of us have different responses to the results. But whatever those outward results are, the important thing is our inner life is being renewed 
day by day. And what my role is in your life is to train you to look at eternal things and not the temporal ones. Some people feel six years are so important. Yes, they're important. Yes, they're, we're, we're not saying they're not important. But what is six years compared to eternity? What is today compared to eternity? What is five days compared to eternity? What is one month compared to eternity? We are groomed. We are taught to, tra- to, to look so closely. We want things to be fast. We die when there's no internet. We complain when the signal hangs. We are upset when the grab or lala move is late. But how is this compared to the eternity? Think about what Jesus Christ had to endure. Think about how long God had to wait to reconcile you to himself. Adam and Eve made the first sin. The Roman Catholics call it the original sin. At that moment, God could have just kicked them out and completely forgotten us. There's so many, so the universe is so large. He could have easily created a new world, removed free will, and maybe we didn't have to make a wrongdoing. He could have pressed a reset button. God would have had the right to, but yet he didn't. God waited. You have the whole Old Testament to study, to read the narratives of the judges, the priests, the kings, the prophets. And still, we didn't do so well. It took all those years, and yet God waited to send his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ didn't come here and suddenly created magic. He came and was birthed as a child and lived 33 years, 33 human years to accomplish his mission on earth. He, li- he lived for us, died for us, resurrected for us. And the way he saw things was to see the eternal purpose of his life. How old are you today? How many years have you lived? How many years out of the years you've lived have you lived for Christ? Have you lived 33 years looking at eternal things? That's what Jesus Christ did. 
Jesus Christ lived 33 earthly years to accomplish the eternal plan of God. And that eternal plan of God, as he resurrected, is made real in us. So that when we value it, when we believe in it, when we subscribe to it, we realize our hope. Hope stops being an idea. Hope stops being a potential. Hope stops being some, something we, we are trying to achieve. Hope stops being dead. When we believe in the power of God, value the resurrection of Christ, we realize the hope that is in us. And that is what I want our church to experience. Today in our anniversary, that's what I want for us to value. That's what I want us to imbibe. Our hope is not on human persons. Our hope is not in the economy. Our hope is not in our bank account. Our hope is not on the stock levels or crypto markets. Our hope is not even a gamble. Our hope is not a chance. Our hope is not an unsure thing. Our hope is a very sure thing. As sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dear church family, this is my gift to you. This is God's gift to you. It's not to believe that hope is something so far. It's the truth that hope is already here. It is inside us that our treasure in jars of clay. Let's believe in it. Let's value it. Let's realize it together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter of Paul that reminds us of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Forgive us for the times we have neglected this truth. Forgive us for the times we have not held on to this truth. Forgive us for the times we have just blindly believed this truth without valuing it. And we ask, dear Lord, that today, even now, we can lay hold of it, that we can realize this from just being a potential to something that we can truly experience. We pray that we can recognize fully your power in us so that we can be wasting away, we can be broken, we can feel lost, sad, imperfect, but we are being held together by your power that can speak life to us. Lord, speak, to, speak life to us right now. May you move in us so that we can be strengthened by your grace. We know it's already working, but we pray that we can just feel it. Because we are finite and you are not. And we ask, dear Lord, that you will strengthen us. That our hope will be secure. 
and not only in the afterlife, but our hope even today. At whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, we ask that your grace will move and satisfy us so that no matter what, we can live lives of thanksgiving and glorifying you. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the truth of the resurrection. And we pray that this resurrection power can make an impact to us, even now as we pray together as a church. Lord, I ask that this new year you have given us, we will encounter more stories of how the resurrecting power of Jesus gives life to our church. That though some of us are sick, we are not beaten by sickness. Though some of us are depressed, we are not overcome by these imbalances. Though some of us are doubtful and living in poverty, whether it's of a poverty of material things or immaterial things, we pray that we can have the hope that in you, we are wealthy. Thank you for this grace, and we ask that you will continually speak to us, have mercy on our church, and continually impacting our lives with the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.